I think a lot of entrepreneurs become obsessed with their product rather than with the problem. And I think the best uh, entrepreneurs or the most successful ones are the ones who are still seduced by the new questions and the new problems rather than the solution. Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that is all about finding happiness by embracing changes and following our curiosity. My name is Beta Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and multi-hyphenate. Each week, I unveil the most intriguing aha moments and leaps of learnings of successful leaders, founders, authors, and artists, and how they achieve incredible things by staying hypercurious. Today's episode is a special one because we're going meta to explore the topic of curiosity in depth with the fantastic Costas Andriopoulos. He's an innovation and entrepreneurship award-winning researcher and professor of innovation and entrepreneurship at the Business School. Costas is currently writing his second book entitled The Power of Purposeful Curiosity, Imagining the Unimaginable. See, that's why I love this conversation so much. In this episode, you learn about how curiosity leads us to become better human beings, the commonalities of very curious people, and the connection between resilience and curiosity. Costas, I'm thrilled to have you on Hypercurious today uh, to talk about curiosity, which I know it's a, a theme that you're very passionate about. So we totally met today here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Costas? So I'm Costas Andriopoulos. I'm a professor of innovation and entrepreneurship at the CAS Business School, which is part of uh, CD University. And for the last four or five years, I have been reading uh, this set, uh, the topic of curiosity. Most of my research uh, is about uh, innovation and especially how innovation is enhanced in the workplace. So I'm an academic who spends time with people in their offices, viewing them, serving them, going to the archives, to the internet sites, you know, going through any secondary source that they have in order for me to understand how they enhance, for instance, particular case, uh, innovation in uh, their uh, corporate uh, environment. My research actually took me from the UK to uh, US, uh, so I've spent a lot of time in the US, especially in uh, Silicon Valley, um, in the Bay Area, as well as Boston. And actually, this was uh, the beginning of uh, this interesting, uh, let's say, research, um, in terms of uh, curiosity. What if that these people were extremely curious about the future? They had this inner urge to learn more, to explore more. And this is how it started. Then I said, oh, that will be a very interesting topic for me to actually work on. Then I started talking to my colleagues. I said to my colleagues, uh, you know, I have an interesting idea. I want to understand how people use their curiosity in order to achieve some interesting goals that they set or in order to find their purpose or to improve their lives. Everybody whom I talked to loved the idea, but then they actually advised it. They told me, why do you want to study curiosity? I mean, you are not a researcher of curiosity or you're not a trained psychologist. Uh, you have done for the last 20 years research on innovation and creativity. It will be crazy for you to do this. And I said, yeah, I sort of get it, but I feel so energized, you know, exploring this. It's something new to me. So I figured it out that I'm curious myself, you know, that uh, I'm interested in learning more about this. And then uh, I launched the project. I love that. And so I was about to say, to ask you that. So you, you think you are a hyper curious person and that was kind of your inner motivation to say, okay, let me go down, you know, the, the rabbit hole of this topic and see, you know, what are the patterns? <laughs> 
Yes, and by the way, let me actually answer your question. So the first thing is that I have always been curious, but I haven't realized it. Uh, so I realized it quite, you know, recently. And how did I realize this? So I'm having a friend of mine, and he actually said to me, you are in your mid-40s, this is a couple of years ago, and you're still asking so many questions. Do you know how annoying this is? So this, this is where it started getting more interesting. I said, okay, so I feel curious. Other people feel that I'm curious. Then other people feel that I'm, I'm annoying them because I'm them a lot of questions. So why don't I start this project and figure out what people do? And by doing this, I will figure out more about myself. So it's interesting to actually do these interviews and replay these interviews because then you can learn a lot from, from people who are extremely curious and I consider as uber hyper curious person and to actually learn more about ourselves. So I think a lot of the times we are interested about the, um, the shiny object, which is in front of us, but by exploring more the shiny object, which is in front of us, what we are also doing subconsciously is we are exploring ourselves. I love that. That's so true. That's what draws us into into the the new things that we do in our lives, right? It's uh, suddenly everything comes back to let's learn more about ourselves and be better human beings. <laughs> so what so far from all of the the interviews that you've you've done with highly curious people as much as you, what have you found that was the most intriguing, unexpected pattern of curious people? The first thing is that most of them, and I actually define this, most of them are very curious about the purpose. This is something that they are extremely passionate about. So people who are expanding, people who are stretching, are the people who are very curious about something that uh, makes them tick. And I call this uh, purposeful curiosity. So it's curiosity if you are adding a purpose. I'm more interested in people who will spend the next, let's say, three, four years or the next decade or maybe part of their lives in, the, in terms of pushing the boundaries further. And then maybe they have done it so they will move to something else. But what came from the interviews was that most of the people that I interviewed have a purpose. So it's linked to something either for them, either for the industry or maybe the country or even humanity. This is the first thing that I identified. Thing that is very interesting, they do a lot of self-exploration. So they're very curious about themselves. So why am I researching this? What is it uh, in terms of my bringing? What is it in terms of my childhood memories? What is it in terms of uh, who I am that leads me to search this topic? So there's a lot of self-exploration. The third thing is that a lot of them are fearless. In reality, they are not. They have their own fears. They have their own all of us. I mean, we have our own fears, we have our own insecurities. But what is interesting about them is that because they are so passionate about the shiny object that is uh, curiosity, their fear cannot stop them. So they embrace them, they understand them, they talk to their friends about them or to their colleagues, but they move forward. So their interest in terms of the thing that they want to explore further is so big, they manage to find a way to actually overcome or to conquer their fears. And how do they conquer their fears is by using their curiosity. They want to actually find out more about their fears. So imagine that you have, for instance, you're afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of heights. I want to overcome this fear of heights. So I said, you know, I, I will go to, the, um, to a place that is quite high and then 
you know, I have to actually, you know, face my fears. And then I, I, we went to Tour de Fel uh, with my family a couple of years ago, and I found a lot of interesting things about the uh, Eiffel Tower. So that actually made me very comfortable. So when I started researching uh, the Eiffel Tower and of course story and the construction and things that people were doing, I started becoming very comfortable. I'm not saying that when I reached that height, I was, uh, you know, super, super confident and comfortable, but uh, I can definitely say, uh, or with confidence, that I felt better. I love that because you, you actually flip your mind into not giving in to the fear and you search for something. I, I have a similar feeling with uh, when, when I'm in an airplane because I, 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 I was always afraid of flying. And, but, but I admire so much when I'm traveling that I look at the sky and it's so blue and beautiful, you know, on the top of the, the, the clouds that I just get marveled by looking at the window and then I forget about my fear of flying. I love that. I want to, to kind of go back a little bit into the, the point that you mentioned about the purpose, right? So that curious people have a purpose. Do they know they have a purpose or it's more the, the, the feeling of they are searching for a purpose that lead them to be curious about certain things and not others? It starts by exploration. So maybe they have like a short list. Maybe they have three, four things that actually grabs at the one point there at time. And then they dig deeper. And then gradually what they realize is that the one uh, is more interesting than the others. And I think subconsciously what they are doing is that they dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Their things are actually removed. So without them realizing it, without them you know, being very strategic about the whole thing, they get seduced and then they go down, as you were saying at the beginning of our conversation today, they go down the rabbit hole. So I think the more you learn about something, the more you get excited about this, then you invest more of your time and you invest more of your energy. So there is a time where this is in, in our head and there is a time where this goes from our head into a folder in our computer or in a physical folder in our bookshelves. And then we say, ah, I want to figure out more about flying or I'm going to figure out more about, uh, I don't know, space exploration or about video games or uh, YouTube, something like that. So you start downloading things. You start, for instance, adding things to your reading list. So this is where it starts getting from an idea in your mind. So I think a lot of these people convert something that they think about to a project. And how does this conversion happen? Is that they invest more resources, they invest more time, and they start talking more to their friends and their colleagues about this. So in a way, they try to actually make this more formal. Right, so they start kind of attracting and connecting to the right things that keep on feeding their curiosity on that particular subject. And then is there a risk that hyper-curious people become too distracted by their sheer, you know, uh, desire of learning and keep going? Because I, I can speak for myself, right? As a hyper-curious person, sometimes I do feel that I have too many curiosities going on and I have to focus and drill down, okay, right now my brain capacity can only deal with those five things as opposed to those 20. Have you seen any, any patterns or any research around that? First of all, uh, I think this is uh, something which is very idiosyncratic based on who we are and how hardwired we are in terms of specializing or being more generalists. I see this as a continuum, so I don't see this as binary. And maybe sometimes what happens is that it's like an ebb and flow. 
from my research, I found that there are some people who specialize, they want to do this for the rest of their lives. What changes is maybe the project. And there are other people who do this. They go from being a specialist to something that uh, it's broader, then they go back to becoming more uh, specialist. Of course, what we have to realize is that we have 24 hours. So if we are interested in one thing, then we can put more resources and time and, and money in one thing. Now, if we are spread and we have a portfolio, then most probably we won't be making the progress that would make if we're focusing on one. However, people who have a portfolio of interest, they find it easier to come up with more original ideas. And sometimes things that they have seen in one box, they can help them in another by working. So... I don't think that there is a rule of thumb here. It's more like knowing the benefits and the risks of specializing more or being more like a generalist. But everything has its pros, everything has its cons. I'm a big believer in following who you are and what you want to do in life. And if it actually takes you longer, maybe that's fine. That makes you happy, right? That's it. <laughs> I love the, the cross-pollination and, and kind of developing lateral thinking through curiosity. Do you, did you find a relationship between curiosity and resilience when it comes to entrepreneurs? Absolutely. I think people who are um, always looking for something which is not, they will bump into walls. They are okay if they hit the wall and they are okay if they have, uh, for instance, uh, a setback. Now, does this happen from the beginning? No. So at the beginning, people uh, actually find it hard, but then they are becoming very calm uh, with discomfort, which is another element that I have noticed in the interviews that I have. So people are looking for discomfort. People are putting themselves into a very uh, uncomposition, and they know why they are doing this. Again, to go back to the self-exploration, they are doing this because every time that we go and we are doing something uncomfortable, it means that we are growing. Whenever we are not doing this, we're doing the tried and tested. Uh, I'm sorry for saying this, but the growth is big. So this is uh, something that they consider as part of the process. They learn uh, how to become more resilient, and they learn that this is uh, part of uh, the journey of growing. This is part of the journey of exploring uh, something new. So, of course, they become resilient, but the other thing is that they are also resilient to their team members, to their colleagues. They are also acting as role models. Uh, they are becoming very calm. So, there are a lot of uh, positive benefits by exploring, you know, the unknown. Mm, interesting. So, when you become highly resilient and then you become an entrepreneur who's usually in the 200 miles per hour train and have that sense of urgency and purpose to start a company, to build a company, do you think there is a challenge that potentially you might be driving yourself to burnout? Yes, but interestingly, as we grow older, I think that's something that uh, a lot of us can relate to. We become less curious. So maybe there is curiosity where the business, maybe there is curiosity when you raise uh, funds from investors. And then when these things uh, actually find their way in the company, then you start hiring people, then you do culture, you revise it, you eat better than do, you have a very successful uh, company. Then people become a little bit complacent. Their curiosity may, may drop, and I have seen this. So an interesting thing is to actually bring back a questioning mindset. And there is an interesting trick there. In your next meeting, instead of having statements in terms of the agenda, convert those statements into questions. So when you're saying, ah, the budget, you're saying, how much do you think that we have in terms of the next quarter? How much do you think that we spend on 
food and beverage or in promotion. When you start converting statements into, into questions, then people start about those kind of things. So you start people getting engaged. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that what you're saying is that in order for us to move forward, we shouldn't be led by what we do. We can go beyond what we're doing if we have more questions. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs become obsessed with their product rather than with a problem. And I think the best uh, entrepreneurs or the most successful ones are the ones who are still seduced by the new questions and the new problems rather than the solution. Because you know this better than I do, that everything that we do, even in academia, we write papers, you know, there is an expiry date, right? So things become obsolete. So what people are looking for is the R&D process, the research and development. So what is coming next? These are the questions that come with the, um, uh, the curiosity. So I think People go towards the comfort, people go towards what they know and what they have been doing. So they find it harder to actually move away from their comfort to something which is foreign to them. Yeah, that's such a good point. From all of your research, and of course, you, you, you work with entrepreneurs uh, all the time, right, as, as part of, of your role. What prevents people from jumping to the unknown and becoming entrepreneurs? The fear of the unknown. What am I losing if I'm moving forward? If, if I'm not an academic anymore and I become, for instance, let me use myself as an example, I become a full-time writer or a researcher writer. A lot of us think like this because the answers are, but I have, I have invested, you know, 25 years of my life. Uh, I have uh, security. So this is what in entrepreneurship will call the golden handcuff, especially for people who are in the corporate world and they have some interesting ideas and they want to become entrepreneurs. So this safety that people have and these nice rewards that people are getting actually is their um, ability to see opportunities. So for me, and thinking about this is not what you are losing, is what you are gaining. So you have to change the mindset. So instead of thinking about the past, is, is, is you have to think, but if I move away myself from this and I become this, what will I gain? And what will be the benefit? So it's completely changing the way that I'm thinking, right? So I haven't done anything, but completely I'm changing the, my mindset. So instead of using things which are like loss and like risk, what I'm saying is what do I gain? And by thinking positive terms, what happens is that you explore opportunities, you explore options, you explore possibilities. So immediately you become more innovative, more original. So I think a lot of people, including myself, belong to the first come, you know, we're always thinking, but what am I going to lose? But what we should be thinking is, what will I gain by doing this? Will I become better in what I do? Will I become happier? You never know what will happen by doing this. A lot of people don't want to make the leap because, first of all, they wear these fantastic uh, golden handcuffs or because they are uh, prisoners to, uh, of themselves, you know, the, their minds don't allow them to think about possibilities. So if we want to actually make the leap, then we have to look forward and we have to think about the possibilities and opportunities that may arise in the future. I love that because there's something about letting things go and not taking, giving too much importance of the things that you already have which, I mean, of course, we have to be grateful for what we have, but perhaps a lot of people who don't jump into the unknown, they're like, well, but I'm going to miss all of those things, right? And they forget about what they're going to gain. And do you think that this is the same principle that applies to organizations that are lacking innovation? 
that they get stuck into the old ways because it's working because they're making tons of money out of that. And, you know, should we be investing in innovation or not? Maybe not because we're comfortable in that position. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, and uh, commerce become complacent. For me, when you're successful, then this is the, the time for a company to invest more in innovation. Because success may lead to the company, the top management teams and the employees becoming more rigid, right? Because they are associated with something. So, and then they hold this success and they don't want to actually live this success and they cannot think about the future. So they hold it so tight. And I think it's important for us to realize success may bring a complacency and complacency is never good in terms of the culture. So success is one problem that uh, a lot of uh, companies have. The second problem is uh, their age. You know, as we grow older, companies grow older. So what happens? As companies grow older, they're becoming more complacent. So there is a set way of doing things. So most probably there is a costas way of doing things, right? There is a better way of doing things. So we all have our own ways of doing things. This applies to organizations. Now, interestingly, the companies will hire people who will actually challenge their culture, who will actually challenge their structure, who will actually challenge uh, their vision or the, the strategy. These are the companies which uh, will survive. I, I'm a big believer in playing the devil's advocate. So splitting your top management team into two teams, the one is thinking about the future, the other one is challenging the future. So you need to have the of challenging each other to keep you on your toes. So I think it's important for us not to overstress or be overwhelmed because this can paralyze us. But a little bit of stress, a little bit of challenge, I think is good. So innovation is not for everything and it's not for um, any time, but it is for when a company is very successful. Now, let me go a, a little bit deeper into your comment regarding us getting older and potentially getting less risky or, you know, less curious and organizations as well, right? So we know that media glamorizes the, the kind of the young entrepreneur, the man young who is a dropout of college and stuff like that, the Mark Zuckerbergs of, of this world. But the reality is that the current average age of a successful entrepreneur is 45 years old. And we know as well, like Steve Jobs, he, he made his most impactful work when he came back to Apple when he was in his 40s. So what do you think, firstly, about this kind of this, the way that we glamorize uh, young entrepreneurs? And what, what is your advice for people who are actually, you know, in their mid-40s and maybe they are in, in the prime moment of being a successful entrepreneur and highly curious person? You're absolutely right, and uh, your facts are uh, so correct and uh, so interesting to actually uh, delve a little bit uh, deeper. Of course, there is interest from younger, um, either students or younger generations to start their own business. And of course, there are benefits in starting a business quite young. You don't have, for instance, uh, things that you may be having possessions. You don't have a family. You can invest more time on the business. Uh, the business can be your life, right? And you come up with some very interesting ideas. However, if you look at the if we look at the um, facts, is that a lot of people are starting businesses now. They're starting business even in their fifties, even in their sixties. So, which was something that unheard of ten years ago or fifteen years ago. So, people want to explore um, or embrace their entrepreneurial uh, their entrepreneurial side. So. Of course, if you start, uh, and, and why are these um, facts that you were referring to earlier correct? Because when we're talking about successful entrepreneurs in their 40s, right? Because first of all, they have experience. Secondly, they have networks. And thirdly, maybe they have, you know, this safety net that they can take some risks with. Now, in terms of 
innovation is very closely linked with the future. So what we want to figure out is what is coming next, right? So looking at this, younger generations can prove extremely helpful. So let me actually share an anecdotal story with you. I was searching for something. So I asked my daughter. I went on Google to find the answer and she went on YouTube. And then I asked other uh, parents, and I said, "Do you actually recognize similar patterns in terms of uh, similar patterns in terms of searching with your uh, daughters and sons?" And some of them actually confirmed this. So, if you want to figure out what is coming next, then what we're looking is what teenagers are doing, what younger people are doing. It makes sense for me, not again, not to actually make this comparison, but to actually say it's not either or. Again, it's both. So you need to actually have teams where there are uh, people who have seen a lot of things and people who come with a different pairs of uh, eyes in order to give you a very different reality. In the way that I have seen very successful companies through my stage that they don't choose, they don't say, let me do this or that. They actually go for both. And of course, uh, human beings like prefer, but if you start thinking about both, then you start becoming more curious about how can I achieve both? So the usual problem that a lot of uh, startups have is how can I be profitable and innovative. Can these two things go together? So I want to be profitable. At the same time, I want innovation. If you want profitability, then you need to focus more on efficiency. Then you need to focus more on taking care of your costs, you know, uh, maximizing your uh, margins, blah, blah, blah. But it's contrary if you want innovation. Innovation is about taking risk. So the other one is about certainty. Innovation is about risk. Innovation is about experimentation. Innovation has hugely, 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 hugely an element of failure, right? So in a way, we are sitting together as co-founders and we're saying, okay, so what are we going to do? So do we want the certainty or do we want, for instance, the, the uncertainty that the innovation brings? And the answer is you need both. You need to be curious in order to figure out how can you achieve both. And if you look at a lot of companies, what they are achieving in terms of their innovation, at one point it becomes their core product. So the innovation, the R&D lab, as I'm always saying, it's develop some products or services. Then this will become mainstream. The more money you will be making from these core products, and hopefully you will have a surplus, can be invested again into new, let's say, innovation. So this is like a, a vicious cycle that never ends. So this is how companies have to think. Have I seen this happening in, uh, through my research? Rarely. Most of them say, let's focus on the today. Let's uh, be short term. Or I have seen other companies saying, let's focus on the future. But either or, it never works. Same applies. You know, you need to have people who have the experience and you need to have people who will come and will say, whatever you have been doing so far is great, but there is a different way of seeing the same thing. I love that. And, and to kind of look back into the mid-40s entrepreneurs who are being successful, do you think that that's... The reason why the majority of uh, more successful entrepreneurs are in their 40s is because they reach certain maturity that they become much more observant of those patterns and what makes a successful company than before. Because maybe in, in their 20s, they, they went either one way of efficiency or all the way innovation. And then to your point about your daughter, it's like suddenly you become very observant, not only about yourself, but it's about what other people are doing. And then you're like, okay, I, I'm going to follow that thread and understand what other people are doing as opposed to just solving my own problem. Do you think there's something, connect, any connection around that? Absolutely. And I, and I love your, um, your statement, uh, your reflections on this. They are very spot on. And 
they, they become observant, but it's not, uh, when you are younger, there is a lot of trial and error, right? And sometimes it can be disheartening. Sometimes it can be motivating. So first of all, mid forties, you are very young, right? So I know, right? If, I if agree we, with you. <laughs> <laughs> we are thinking about different careers. We are different. We are thinking about even uh, until we are 100 years old, maybe more than that. And I think technology and a lot of the innovations uh, that are happening at the moment will help us to do so. So Somebody is very young, but you are right. They are mature. They know what to avoid. They know where to focus on. But they need somebody to challenge them. They need somebody to take them out of their comfort zone. They need somebody to help them to break the pattern. Because I'm a big believer in understanding the patterns, but not maybe stopping there, breaking it as well. And the most successful companies or the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones, for instance, the Apple with the iPhone. They totally broke the pattern of what a mobile phone looks like or what a mobile phone should do. So they broke a pattern and that's why they became very successful. I think great entrepreneurs do this. Sometimes they can do it on their own. Sometimes they can do it with help. But still, you know, if you're saying I need somebody or I need team members, I need other people to help me reach that goal, then it means that you most probably you are very mature. You are introspecting. You are reflecting and you consider where you need the help. But the other thing is that they don't try so much. So they don't waste energy. What we have to realize is that, again, there is energy wasted. There are emotions involved every time that there is a failure or every time that we hit a wall. Whatever we are saying, there is it's going to be always an emotional toll on this. I agree. Let's talk a little bit about motivation. So in this world post-pandemic, a lot of entrepreneurs had to relearn uh, how to keep ourselves curious, right? With, the, the, with no stimulus around, uh, but also how to motivate ourselves and motivate our teams, right? When we all apart, the connection of the, the office not happening anymore. So what type of entrepreneurs do you think thrived most to overcome this obstacle and relearn the new way of, uh, of working from home? I think there are some people who, there is a category of entrepreneurs who couldn't cope with the change. And sorry for saying this, but they paralyzed. And maybe their teams also paralyzed watching them being paralyzed, right? So I think an entrepreneur uh, who will survive this new era is the one who is always looking for new opportunities, regardless of what they have done, regardless of, as I was saying earlier, whether they're successful. So they're always, you know, looking for, uh, for new things. They're always searching. So they're always uh, asking questions. I believe that a, a good structure is the one which is a little bit, and this is part of uh, my research in terms of innovation. It's a good company it needs to have two parallel, let's say, units, as I was discussing earlier. So a unit that focuses on the today and keeping their clients or their users happy and another parallel, another unit that works on the parallel that always thinks about the future and always thinks opportunities. And through my research, I identify that it's better to have these two units collocated so that people from these two units can talk to each other because there have been some companies where they are physically not located very close to each other. Because as I was describing this virtual cycle earlier, there is a lot of learning which is happening. So for instance, 
people are changing how they work, people are changing how they consume. So there are a lot of those changes. So if you had, for instance, uh, a unit in the company identifying all the changes and giving this information back to the core unit, or if they were developing something on their own, it means that what they're doing is that they, they have their antennas on, they understand what is happening, but they're also taking action. And I think an entrepreneur understands where this is going, but they don't again stop there, they take action. Good entrepreneurial teams are going to be the ones that focus on the today, but also focus on the tomorrow. And they don't prioritize the today and the tomorrow carry equal weight. We live in interesting times, right? So there are going to be a lot of problems, I feel, and there are a lot of uh, opportunities. So we have to be always looking for new, interesting or exciting spaces, either geographically or other spaces in terms of products or services that we can uh, offer to our users or clients if it's B2B. And in a moment where we are working from home and you don't have, you might lose this connection, right, between the innovation part and the kind of efficient part of your business. Have you come across any resources or tools or, or practices that the most successful, well, the companies that are most successfully dealing with the pandemic applied to keep this connection going on, uh, even though they're not in the same place? <laughs> Apart from Slack, of course. <laughs> yes, I'm going to totally disappoint you with this answer, but and I and apologize in advance. I think keeping the interaction alive, so keeping the human interaction, because what we have to realize is that most of the businesses that we refer to are, are knowledge-based businesses, right? So a lot of the innovation comes by sharing knowledge. So having these meetings uh, in these video calls, continuing, for instance, with how life uh, used to be as much can, then creates opportunities for people to express their concerns, to um, raise some interesting opportunities, and most importantly, to talk to each other. There has to be an extra element of bringing people together in any way. So I don't really propose one thing saying, ah, you have to do it in that particular way, because companies are very idiosyncratic. So I don't believe in one solution fits all different solutions for people, but definitely the one principle is for people not to feel alienated from each other, because when we're talking about entrepreneurship and when we're talking about innovation, it is about being very close to each other and it's about continuing to talk to each other. This is how ideas uh, are generated. So um, we are having conversation, you tell me something, I tell you something else, and then, you know, these ideas may actually spark a third idea. So this is how it works. Imagine now being on your own in a study or in a kitchen with everything else which is happening and feeling alienated or isolated from the rest of the world as all of us are at the moment, but also from your organization, it can be quite daunting. So I think managers, Entrepreneurs, leaders have to be now closer to their teams. So they have to make an extra effort to reach out to their teams and figure out, you know, how they are doing and how they can help them. So again, what we're going back is, uh, you know, the curiosity element. But this is more about uh, the social curiosity. So how are you doing? Uh, what are you working on? Uh, anything interesting? So these kind of questions so that people feel that the organization does care and of course it has to be authentic but also and heard but also for the ideas and knowledge to fly across uh, people or uh, units 
that's such a good point. It's uh, curiosity is even more needed in the workplace now when you when you have when you're distant and you literally have to make a make an effort to call for a meeting or for, call for a chat or something formal because otherwise you end up just having meetings about the work and never about the humans, right? Yes, and it's interesting because sometimes we're saying, ah, yeah, we have another meeting. But then when you go to that meeting, and it happened to me, then you feel coming out from that meeting, again, energized. We crave human connection. I mean, this is who we are, right? Human beings are, crave connection. They want to talk to other people. They want to listen. They want to get excited. So I think there has to be a level of excitement. There has to be a level of um, energy, not to counterbalance winning outside because what's happening outside it's not great. I mean, there are a lot of problems. People still um, pass away. So there are a lot of things that we have to consider. But there has to be an element that counterbalances what is happening externally. So asking them, caring about them, I think it's, uh, it's something important. It's a great trait of a great leader nowadays, even more than before, right? I love this. Costas, what are you mostly curious about at the moment? Whether we can use the power of questioning and curiosity in order to solve big problems. For me, this is the beginning. Whether we can build this community, I'm very grateful that uh, you are building the, the community and you are so keen in terms of uh, this, uh, this area. To me, this is, this is what makes me currently curious. You know, can we use this power that all of us have and at points we lose to solve humanity's biggest problems. And I'm not saying are with biggest problems, but to start, you know, identifying which are these problems and then starting to resolve these problems. So this is what keeps me interested at the moment. And hopefully will be people who will come and they will actually show us that it can be done. As people who are behind the vaccines, who are behind all this innovation that we see in, the, in that particular industry. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful, Costas. Any last messages you want to share with the awesome audience who's listening to us right now? Stay curious for uh, all their lives and not listen so much to what other people are telling them about how they should uh, actually lead their lives. The people have to take agency. They have to become uh, from passive consumers to active creators and they have to use their curiosity or they have to learn how they can use the curiosity better in terms for their own benefit, the benefit of their organizations, the benefit of their communities or the benefit of, uh, for the planet. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful ending. Thank you very, very much, Costas. I love this conversation. I'm sure everyone who's listening to us have uh, finished this feeling hyper curious, even more hyper curious and energized because I have been, I'm feeling like that right now. So thank you very much for your time and for your amazing uh, thoughts and observations and insights. Likewise, I feel the same. This is what I, I'm always saying to, the, to my students. And maybe this is the last thing that I'm going to say. We have so much data. What we have to spend more time is on the questions. Thank you so much for having me and it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for listening so far. Make sure that you listen to other episodes. You can go to hypercurious.fm and if you want to stay in touch, I'm around. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. You just search for my name and you're going to find me. If you love this conversation and more, make sure that you also do a five star and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if that's your preferred podcast app. It will mean the world to me. For now, ciao, ciao.